Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with British singer-songwriter Josie N. Clark. You can find out more about me and the projects I'm working on at robertlanemusic.co.uk and I'm on social media as Robert Lane Music. Okay, here's my conversation with Josie N. Hi Josie N, how are you doing? Um, yeah, okay, as well as can be expected. Yeah, we're in um, unprecedented times, unprecedented use of the word unprecedented. <laughs> the the one thing it surely becomes is uh, precedented. Yes, after a while. that's a good yeah. question. Actually, how how soon do things become, yeah, <laughs> precedented? It's it's <laughs> we're like, living in precedented <laughs> times. We're still in precedented. We continue in these. We're just in times. I think is the yeah. is the answer. We're on for a bit of context. Anybody listening, it it's an interesting thought that somebody could be listening to this at the other end of all of this, and kind of, mm. I wonder if this would all seem terribly quaint. I hope so, but we're in kind of day three of the full-on official lockdown in the UK. Although mm. for pretty much all of us, I think things had been affected well before that. Were you supposed to be out playing shows at the moment? Yeah, I had um, several dates um the end of february and throughout march and then sort of stretching into um early summer and obviously none of those are happening now i was supposed to go to um germany in a couple of days time Mm -hmm. so that's all off and how long ago were you sort of cancelling shows because that was one of the really interesting bits of it wasn't it we got to this point where it kind of felt obvious that gigs and shows couldn't happen, but there was no official, you must cancel everything you're doing for a while. Yeah, so, um, I I was in, I had a gig in Leicester on the um, 8th of March and there was kind of talk of that um, then. So this has all sort of happened. So it sort of um, kind of, kind of turns over quite quickly. Like the situation changes really quickly because it, still wasn't clear like some things had been cancelled at that point Mm. but it wasn't kind of incumbent on us all to cancel everything um and that's the last one that i did and it was weird as well wasn't it because then people were still doing gigs or performances or whatever and it was kind of like it was up to the promoter and the artist but it was then obviously also to the audience as to whether they were showing up for stuff so i was hearing a lot of people saying the audience's numbers were kind of dwindling a bit as well I think we were all like audience promoter and artist all in a really difficult position then mm. um because sort of now the the advice is really clear it's just you can't do it and so we all mm. have to operate in that um it, it was really hard for each one of those three sets of people to know what their obligations were yeah. and so I think you know we all just did what we could do at the time Um, Andy the promoter was still going ahead with it so I felt like if he was still going ahead and people were still coming then I still needed to keep my end of that bargain that's it one of the things that I found tricky with a lot of this stuff in the run-up to Mm. to this Monday like with 
professional stuff but also personal stuff was this idea of you know keep calm and carry on stiff up a lip and you know the show must go on but then yeah. it's not this situation is quite unlike most things in the past because I sort of realized well the keep calm and carry on was to stay at home and not moan about it <laughs> it, was, yeah. it wasn't to force you know yourself to go out and be putting yourself in danger because it was putting and that was the point with shows wasn't it at the end of the day mm. I guess you were asking people to come out and potentially put themselves in danger I, I guess I think at the point where um, the audience, the promoter and the artist realised that actually their obligation was to not do things, mm. everything sort of stopped quite quickly. Um, and that that's a really strange situation to be in where like not performing music is a gift to everyone. <laughs> um, and we're not comfortable with that, any no. of us. Like the idea, the audience aren't comfortable with the idea that I'm not going out and supporting artists, and the promoters aren't comfortable with the idea that I'm not promoting artists. Like it puts us all like way out of our comfort zones. Yeah. Um, but you know, you just have to do what you can do. And the new piece of information that we all had was that the best thing we could do for like humanity at large was stay at home and I feel like the um, creative industries were ahead of ahead of that we were kind of we were like some of the first people to say actually we should stop doing this and I think we can be proud of that yeah I think that's a good point I mean and the other thing is for a lot of us that is quite a sacrifice because Hmm. a big part of our of people's income is is that is people turning out and seeing them in a room um and it's quite scary to you know and you, normally through any situation whether it's being ill or bad weather or you know competing with some massive football match or whatever you just do the shows anyway because that's what you do mm. so yeah it's a uh, it was unprecedented <laughs> to have, <laughs> yeah. to have I mean to take, you take you take an extremely flimsy business model um, like very precarious and then you kind of throw into that something that like absolutely decimates it um yeah but but the there are sometimes some things bigger than sure. like my artistic development and that's fair enough absolutely and how are you feeling in terms of how this will affect your creativity and and that kind of thing in general do you think that there's a possible um without wanting to sound crass about it is there a possible silver lining in terms of creativity and having the space and the time to do stuff or are you not there yet um i think as an artist like having loads of time on your hands and getting slightly bored is always like the perfect recipe for making things i mean it hasn't moved me to write any songs yet Mm -hmm. um but i also feel like personally um you have to learn to sort of balance the panic of this as well because um in one sense the extra time is a great gift creatively Mm. but the kind of uncertainty and um some of the anxiety that it creates is not and I think like each of us have to sort of find a way to get around that make our peace with it and balance that anxiety to get back to a place where we can make things i feel like you can't make great things in a sort of heightened panic state and that might be that might be different for other people they might find that's like a really great creative space but i've never found it to be personally so i kind of still have to 
like calibrate that. Mm. Well, that's interesting then. So what would be in, in an ideal world without any of this situation, what does the perfect creative space or time look like for you? I think, I mean, I think it is a great amount of um, time and space that's always been creatively useful to me, but I've always balanced it with having things to do as well. Um, being too idle isn't necessarily a conducive thing, like being able to get outside and mm. do things and see people and, and seeing other art as well. That's always been useful for kind of sparking ideas and things. So I think the thing about this will be trying to consume things, um, other people's artwork from home. Now you can't go to a museum and, you know, look at some turners, but um, there's plenty you can access on on the internet. So it'll be slightly different, but presumably still possible to kind of get that balance of intake and output. Which is one of the interesting things about this happening now. This is something that I've been thinking about. It's like if this was... I don't know, even 20 years ago, maybe 10 years mm -hmm. ago, we wouldn't have, you know, the access to to the internet and to streaming and whatever else it is that is potentially going to get people through this. And the, the, you know, the video calls and all this kind of stuff, which I think is, is going to be a bit of a, a bit of a lifesaver for people keeping in touch with each other. Had it been a couple of decades ago, none of that would have been there. And then that comes into what you've just said about being able to access. I think there's a few libraries and stuff that are put in their catalogue online for free mm. and you can, you know, virtually visit a museum, which without those things, it'd be interesting to, it, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but it's almost as if things happen at the time that a society can actually deal with it, I however mean, hard it is. When you think about the sort of, um, the revelations of kind of home working, like mm. lots of businesses who said, oh, no, we can't possibly do that, have found a way to do it. Because they have and to. And I feel yeah. like, yeah. And I feel like we have, in some sense now, the access and the setup to get on less planes and to travel about less. And like, we all know the kind of like global benefits of doing less of those things. Mm. But there wasn't the impetus to make those changes and it's kind of like maybe one has been provided mm. uh, and that we all have to think about the way the world is organized and I think the one thing that could come out of it is that we do think more seriously and I think in terms like specifically for artists so one of the things that's still available to all of us is the streaming services yes but they don't pay any artist a wage that they can live on like that can properly supplement their income certainly not at our level um so that needs looking at mm. if if we can't do as many gigs you see if you were if you were kind of um earning a reasonable wage from from the streaming platforms you could be all right in this situation, but we're not because those don't pay properly. So kind of like this might be the perfect time to have all of those conversations. Yeah, definitely. And I think you're, you're right in so many ways, just sort of professionally, but also personally for people as well. I hope, and I think it's kind of obvious, it's just going to be a, a reevaluation of how we we see things isn't it the the home working is an interesting one because i'm sure there was lots of companies who were saying oh that won't work for us because they didn't want to 
be bothered with sorting out how it would work and then all of a sudden mm. all of a sudden is i mean schooling as well is gonna there must be some quite interesting effects that are going to come from the fact that the schools pretty much are now closed and mm. and students there were uh, um, being asked to work from home and, and do remote learning and the implications of that could be very interesting I think as well. I think I think that brings up all kinds of arguments about adequate childcare as well this sort mm. of goes into um, you know rampant capitalism versus a more socialist model that, that it has implications for every aspect of the way that things are organised um, and I feel like it, it kind of brings to the um, the top of the list some things that people previously were saying weren't necessary to think about yeah and like this is the eventuality where if we'd sorted those things this would all be easier yes and i feel like personally there's a few things that i'm i've been wanting to do and projects that i want to have the time to work on but you're always telling yourself I don't have the time. There's other stuff I need to focus mm. on. Well, suddenly some of the other things just aren't going to be happening for a while. So it's, you know, it's an interesting opportunity to do those other things. And then you find out, did you really want to do them? Or was the excuse of not having the time just that, just a, a quite comfortable excuse? It's removed some of the comfort barriers as well, I guess, for people, hasn't it? Where you actually now mm. have to... I think there's quite an existential crisis going on for a lot of people as well. I'm feeling it a bit. It's like, well, if I'm not able to do that thing that I spend all my time doing, what am I? I mean, absolutely. I mean, I've always been one for an existential crisis anyway. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, like, like, what is the point in me now? Like, what am I for? What do mm. I contribute? Like, have I got anything to offer? What, what? do I need to do when I wake up in the morning and like currently the the answer is like nothing there is nothing that I have to do Mm. there's sort of nothing that I can do but then you get to um so what 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 would I do total black canvas what what do I want to try do I want to learn Russian do I I don't know like like you can like in a way the idea that you take away the idea of um the acquisition of wealth Mm. from being an artist so what do i want to learn what do i want to try what do i want to express forget about whether it will sell forget about whether anyone needs it or i'll ever be able to perform it it kind of takes it right back to um like that basic need to create and express things Mm. that can surely have a positive effect on people's creative output yeah that's fascinating isn't it one thing i've decided to do is is i want to keep a diary and it's like well i had these thought of of this you know this period and it's like well why do i want to do that because no one's ever going to want to read that because everybody in the world has gone through it so they they know who's going to care (laughs) And even in the future, you know, it's going to be so documented. Why would anybody need my thoughts on it? And it's like, well, actually, no, I'm doing it because I want to do it. But think how voraciously people still read, like, World War One, Yeah. Like, stories and novels and... That's it. Diary entries. So I'm not I'm not equating this to World War One in any way. I just, just say that for the record. I'm not saying, like, we're all here in the trenches. No, um, 
I just mean that just because it happened to everyone in some form or another collectively doesn't mean that people aren't interested in one person's view of it. And of course, everybody, although they're having the same experience, is having a unique experience as well. That's that's the thing. And And doing this, so I started that now, I started writing about it, and it's been really useful because actually to do that, I've gone and looked, well, when, when did the first person die in china of this and it was Mm. a couple of days before i got married back in january it's like well when Mm. i was getting married i don't think anyone at that wedding had any idea i don't think we'd heard about covid19 at that point so that's interesting that's only two and a bit months ago and and then when did this happen and when did and actually putting it down on paper like a timeline the way that somebody in the future would look at it you suddenly go fuck this has only been less than two months of my life and everything has completely changed because it, it feels it feels like ages. It feels like this has been like this slow burning thing. But actually, when you look at the dates, it's just that the situation changes all the time. Um, all the time, yeah. And impossible things are happening. Stuff that would have seemed just completely mad and like mm. science fiction. So I think, and there's. Do you find yourself that you're kind of going through it, and something is said, some news happens, and you go, "Oh yeah, well of course they've got to do that," and then you take yourself out of it and go. That was impossible only like a week ago. That would, for me, it was when they said, well, Broadway in New York is closing. And you're like, yeah. what? That, that's never <laughs> happened in history as far as I'm aware, that just every theatre and bar and club in in Broadway will be closed. And you're just like, shit. <laughs> you know, that's like a dystopian novel and I'm kind of living through it, which has got its own kind of interesting aspects because it's like, Everybody lives through history, and when you look back mm. on it, like you mentioned the First World War and stuff, it's like, well, God, that must have seemed awful, and it would have been awful going through it, but then it was your life and it was your experience. So I guess at some level, again, it was it was precedented again. This, so this is weird. one of the things that I think is kind of difficult about it. Like you're, there's the thing that's happening like globally that's massive that sort of never quite happened in any living person's lifetime. Um, and it, it's never happened like this. It's never quite worked this way. Mm. Um, but there's the idea that like we still all have to function day to day. So how do you do that when like the future has now become this sort of like paused? Um, like we don't know when it will go back to normal. It won't go back to normal as we previously understood that. So how do you orient yourself in that? How do you think of, like, how do you hope for the future? How do you plan for things? How do you think of things that you've got to look forward to? All the basic stuff that you use to function on a day-to-day level. Mm. Like, none of those things are there. So, like, we've got things we want to do in August, but I don't know. Like, I was plan to go to scotland i don't know if i'll be able to do that now mm. i like all of that is kind of thrown out of the um the window of immediate possibility mm. but it, and again that's just a matter of looking at our lives in a different way isn't it because we spend so much time mm. in six months i'll be doing and particularly as an artist i find this as well it's always about well that I'll be doing that tour in October and that my life is all about what I'm doing for that tour. And it's suddenly like, as we were saying, well, actually you need a different perspective on what your, your life is. Well, I you guess. get, you get trapped in the album cycle, don't you? The kind mm. of like 18 month cycle from album to album. And um, I, like, I've got some 
songs for a new thing, but I don't know when I'd be able to get to a studio to record them. Um, I don't know where I'd get the money to record them. Um, you know, like that's that's not going to be like the same it's not mm. going to be like the same 18 month cycle like it might be that i can't make that for a couple of years um and like that's all that's all fine but um it does sort of make it difficult to plan anything beyond tomorrow mm. yeah and talking about the 18 month cycle then the, the shows that you would have been doing at the moment was that part of the sort of tour and promotion of the last album in all weather but you still on that yeah process? Yeah, because I did I did a few um, in November, and then I was kind of gonna do more in the spring, and then uh, maybe more in the autumn as well. Kind of um, instead of doing like one huge tour, mm-hmm. do like three small ones. Um, and I was sort of planning to have a kind of launch anniversary, so I launched it in November, and I was sort of planning to do the same thing again like do the album in its entirety oh, like cool. a year later um but i don't know <laughs> if that will happen and i sort of thought, well by that time that album will be finished i'll have like i'll be starting to work on a new one and i'll be on like the next cycle and that idea of an album ha- only has like a shelf life of 18 months mm. I mean, thinking of it in the context of today, that's that's mad. You can't possibly be that kind of wasteful with your creative content. <laughs> and I, if that's a change that comes, well, maybe that's not entirely unwelcome. And for that album then, it feels as if that is a... It's always hard to know from the outside, but is it a collection of songs or is it as it sounds, which they were written for that project? Oh, no, it's, um, it's 100% like a cohesive homogenous little lump of things um yeah i i moved to um the isle of butte for um for a year and weirdly quite sort of secluded and self-isolated so, so you, I thought, you got oh, some practice in that's good yeah i'm i'm sort of like all right at this um yeah i lived there um for a year and wrote those and they are all part of that album that's what that is that's about um, stopping living in London mm. for the first time for my whole adult life and relocating somewhere really remote and going back to being a um, solo artist. And so, yeah, that's like a document of one year in time. And so a lot of those changes were kind of happening at the same time then because you moved from London, the the duo, mm. the duo that you were working in for... For a fair while before that, wasn't it? It was quite a long time. Um, almost 10 years, yeah. Um, and that stopped around the same time. Were those things kind of linked? Oh, yeah. It was all all part of one kind of uh, fuck this move. Was it an existential crisis by any chance? I mean, I think I think it's one of those where um, you, you, you experience some, like, unhappiness and some resistance and some like lack of fulfillment and you try to change all these little things like oh if I just tweak this bit and if I just did that that would make it better Mm. and like in the end you realize that maybe you just need to like change all of it just 
cut the legs off the whole thing and start again. And I'm not someone who's inclined to make those sweeping changes, but um, I I feel like I don't regret any of them. Good. <laughs> That's great. And that so then that project and that album was a reflection of, of those changes as well. With- yeah, it was it was born out of all of that change. That it's sort of like like you say, you're gonna keep a diary. That's like me documenting yeah. the process of realising that that's what I needed to do, going, oh, my God, I've got to change everything, and then going, no, uh, it's okay, I can, and this is how I'm going to do it, and this is why it's fine. So were the songs written as it was happening then, or were they written afterwards, as a, but as a reflection of your state of mind when it was happening? Um, there's there's sort of, I mean, there's always sort of, like, like grey areas in that sense. There's some where I kind of had that were written just before I went when I was realising that that's what I wanted to do. Because these things are never like you just pack a bag and go mm. one day. You have to give your notice on your flat and um, find a new one and, um, you know, give in your notice. So, uh, yeah, it was kind of, it kind of, ste- like it kind of stems that whole process from the first kind of starting to put it into process to... Um, the end of that when I was on the island and um, writing about being there and what I learned from that separation and seclusion. Okay. And if I could ask one of those rubbish questions that people ask about songwriting then, what is there a process that's always the same for you or does it vary between song? Like how do you start and what is the the process of doing it? I mean, yeah, that is one of those questions that people always ask. And um, I can never really answer it. I talked to um, Patrick Humphreys, who is the guy that wrote the Nick Drake, the really great Nick Drake biography. Cool. Um, and we were talking about this and he said, oh, it's the, it's the question that like everyone always wants an answer to. And like you can't ever really answer it mm. because I can say like there's a line that occurs to me. Um, and I would say that sort of a general rule is like one phrase or, or one image or a concept. And then I would work it out from there. But like where that comes from, I couldn't say. Like if I knew that, then it would kind of render the whole thing meaningless. And so does that kind of thing, that first sort of inspiration, does that appear when you're looking for it or does that come when you're doing you know is it when you're on the long walk or doing the washing up or whatever or are you sick? I mean all of those things really like I've um I've thought of the line when I've been at a gig hearing someone else's song I'm not saying like a like sort of in a plagiaristic way but like something somebody says um like sparks an idea yeah. or yeah like you say you um, the worst one is when you wake up in the middle of the night and you have an idea and you have to write it down to get up, write it down and then go back to bed. I hate that. Have you got that then? You got the pad by the side of the bed and all that stuff? Or I mean, no. I usually <laughs> sort of like write it on the back of a gas bill in blood. <laughs> <laughs> Which will make it seem good. Because that's the problem with that sometimes is those middle of the night ideas are amazing because 
it's the middle of the night. And then you might look at it in the morning and be like, what the fuck was I talking about? But even then, I think sometimes those ideas are quite good because they can lead you to something else, perhaps. I mean, I've had both versions of that. I've had like um, like an entire song come to me in the middle of the night. Um, I never learned French from Nothing Bring Back the Hours like that. That oh. was one I had to get up and write down and then go back to bed. And there are other ones where I've like sung something into a sort of voice memo in the middle of the night and then woke up in the morning and wanted to like burn my phone. <laughs> Are you, do you sign up to the idea, which I think I do that to a degree anyway, where you've got to, you have bad ideas and you have stuff that doesn't really work, but you've got to get through those and get them out of the way. Oh yeah, absolutely. To get to good stuff. Um, yeah. You just have to churn the crap out. Um, and like, I feel like the process is not having ideas. Hmm. Like you can have lots of those. The real craft of it comes with the discernment of knowing a good one from a bad one. Uh, so like your quality as an artist is what you throw away. Oh, I love that. That's that's a quote. That's one for the front of the book, I'd have thought, Josie, and that's a good one. I mean, I've got plenty of time to write it now. <laughs> yeah, do it. But I love that though, like talking to different songwriters, it's the stuff that is, not just songwriters, all kinds of people, but it's the stuff that's similar that they all say and then the, the different mm. approaches as well is so interesting. Do you do, do you do office hours for songwriting? So if, you're, if you've got a project that you're writing for, would it be like Monday, nine till one I'm writing or is it just as and when? No, I've always thought that that was like total bullshit. Um, <laughs> I mean, everyone should do whatever they want for themselves, but like, no, that seems like mental to me and that there are there are times where i've stayed up till 5 a.m drinking tea and coffee Mm. um doing this and i sort of feel like that like i i just sort of let it decide itself i don't try and impose um hours on it and like i haven't written anything for weeks and that used to worry me that idea that like oh I haven't written anything maybe I'll never write anything again mm. and like I've just been doing it for long enough that I don't feel that way like I will but like it will tell me when it's ready to to do something and you take the same approach for a project then so say if you 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 know you've got an album coming up are you writing stuff kind of to a schedule for that album or is it just I've got enough tunes now it's time to record yeah I mean I've always had like by the time I've got to the next album, like I've always had enough to get started. Um, I, I'm lucky to have never been in the situation of like, I've got like an album expected and I haven't got anything. Like I've just always got too much rather than not enough. Mm. Um, I mean, not, not so much at the moment, um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm not, no one's telling me they need an album off me. So, yeah. uh, yeah and what about collaboration then so you were in the the duo with ben for a long time but if i've understood it correctly it was still kind of songwriting was fairly individual in that um i mean yeah like i was um i was the songwriter and i did that (laughs) on my own i've always done that on my own i don't really do co-writing the only time I've ever really co-written was with Samantha Waits for Pika Pika. Mm-hmm. And we would have some separate stuff and then we would sort of bring it together. Um, 
And we did a little bit of genuine co-writing because I know she does a lot more of that. and She's kind of better at that than me. Um, and she is the only person that I've really managed to do that with. Mm. Occasionally, Ben would have a sort of guitar part and I would sort of take that away, write a melody for it and the words on top of it. But that was always a kind of private process that I would work on and bring back. So my experience of collaboration in a writing sense is next to nothing. Mm. And is that by choice or is it just the way that it's kind of gone? I don't think that I I don't really like like it. I don't really it's not how my brain works I'm not I'm like too much of a control freak in the application of words to melody Mm. but I'm not very good at letting other people do it as well it's not really a thing that I can do in a group context Mm -hmm. like I just got really like specific rules and ways of working that I can't open that process out Mm -hmm. And like I just about managed it with Samantha, but that's sort of largely because her process is similar to mine. And that what we were doing was balancing the bits that we were different at. Like we could make that work. But I would say nine times out of ten, I can't do that. And with with that project, was it the fact that it was... um a different project as well because because i find that sometimes with writing with people if it's not my stuff and it's not their stuff it's this other thing you kind of give yourself permission to do stuff that you wouldn't normally do or stuff that you might have a problem with if it was your own material. yeah um it definitely gave me the opportunity to sort of release myself from it adhering to all the normal rules that i would apply to my own <sighs> stuff yeah and we were aiming for a different outcome it wasn't meant to be like either of our solo work it was meant to be like another thing and we were writing for it to have two vocalists two voices mm-hmm. in um in a writing sense like two um writing voices and two like singing voices yeah so yeah because it was a an entirely separate thing outside of both of us um it was easier to kind of let it be whatever it was mm-hmm. <laughs> And to pick up on something that you mentioned earlier when you were saying that the current situation, you can't get out and you know visit an art gallery or whatever. Mm. I, I find it interesting to talk to musicians about how much they listen to music because <laughs> I've sort of gone through a period recently where I'm not all that much um, and I'm finding that my, my um, uh, input is different stuff. So it's whether it's reading or I'm obviously really into podcasts, which kind of was the, the reason for starting mm-hmm. this one up. But like, a lot of people talk about art and actually going and seeing art and reading about stuff like that. How is that for you? Is the the art that you're taking on board, is it music or other stuff or a mix? I mean, it always comes back to balance for me. I feel like um, I like what visual art provides. I like poetry a lot. I get a lot from that and I get a lot from listening to all kinds of music um, but I need them all because um, imagery is something that I use a lot of. So like visual 
stimulus is really useful. I like wordplay, so poetry mm. is really useful. But also melody is really important. And if I never listened to any other music, then my understanding and my kind of palette of melody would be... Um, like it, it would be negatively impacted by not having enough inspiration i suppose yeah well yeah just new different ideas and stuff because there's that trap yeah. i can fall into that trap of for kind of comfort to listen to stuff that i've always liked so and, and suddenly think well now actually i'm listening to to artists that i was listening to when i was 13 which makes me feel comfortable <laughs> but actually i've already nicked all the ideas off <laughs> that i'm probably gonna steal then it maybe needs to be some some different stuff do you listen to your contemporaries and people on the same kind of circuit as you or not so much um yeah i do um but i also um like consume like a load of like weird old jazz as well um uh, alex always taking the piss out of my um spotify um weekly radar thing Mm -hmm. that it's always got like a sort of new stan gets bop in it nice um (laughs) the release radar like it's always got a sort of reissued jazz album in it great um, which you can't, like, you can't really see the influence of that on my work exactly, but um, I feel like it does. Because things don't necessarily have to be that obvious, do they? In your, you, yeah. In, in fact, a lot of the time, if it's quite a different genre of music, it's very interesting as to what that can actually do to your own output. I guess. Yeah, I, I sort of, don't, I don't want it to be too obvious what I've no. been listening to because if if you're doing that, then then you're being too derivative. Mm. Like it needs to be a kind of subtle flavour. Um, yeah. And what about genre then? I mean, I've I've sometimes found the whole idea of genre, whilst understanding why people um, feel that they need to put labels on things, I've always found that a little bit of a a limiter. Um, certainly when you're starting off you know when you're pitching to a venue or or whatever it is and they want to know exactly what you do and it's like well it's a bit of this and it's a bit of that it's it's always been one of the sort of least interesting considerations to me Mm. um and that i sort of feel like i shouldn't have to uh think about or decide that that like i don't want to be limited by um i think i mean because you know there's like there's like the folk genre mm-hmm. and like I was kind of annoyed when people said that they felt that it wasn't that and then when they said it definitely was I sort of felt instantly trapped <laughs> um like as soon as we were like in the club then I, I want to get out um still about <laughs> J Mark's quote isn't it yeah 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 mm. So yeah, like I've I I kind of fought for the folk moniker, and then now I sort of spent the last sort of four years trying to slightly get rid of it, <laughs> um, and not because I don't like that and I don't want to make that music. Um, it's not a rejection of that genre. It's just that um, it's too limited for a songwriter. I think I think you can't just. Like if your main thing is songwriting, you mm. can't limit it to one genre. Like you limit yourself to all kinds of um, like instrumental choices and c- constructs. Um, yeah, I'd ideally have as much choice and breadth as possible. 
Yeah. I mean, not that I intend to write a metal album, but I feel like I should have the choice to do that. Absolutely. Yeah, have the freedom to do that. Because, it, again, it comes back to who is it for, you know, who is anybody making anything for? And, mm. yeah, once you've you've got an audience, there is an element of um, feeling like you've got to serve that audience. But you would hope that you're serving the audience by doing what you need to do to express yourself as well. Like that's kind of how I've started to look at it. It's like if my audience like me because of what I do, then they should, you know, not saying they have to like everything I do, but they should be Mm. accepting of the fact that I'm going to do what I'm going to do, I guess. I think if you release yourself to the idea that some people that previously liked previous things you did Mm. won't like the new iteration of you, like if you can live with that, then you don't have to think about it. Like, I don't mind if people who previously liked the kind of slightly more ornate duo stuff don't like the more kind of raw, austere, less perfect in all weather album. Like, that's fine. That's okay. Mm. Um, and then other people who weren't so into that kind of slightly more twiddly stuff like this one. And that's fine, and it kind of balances out. Um, And I try not to make it for anyone in particular. Mm -hmm. Try to just make what what I need to make at that time, Um, and hope that some people will like it. Yeah. And does it feel like the audience has changed then from the for the duo to the solo projects? Like obviously there's been crossover, but are there are there different people? Um well? yeah, it's had it's had a sort of rejig. Um <laughs> largely I'd say like I took more people with me than than I thought I would. I thought that it would be a bit of a jolt for some. Um and you know, I've definitely lost a few of those people that would come at the gig and ask what tuning uh, ben was in um you know the real like guitar enthusiasts yeah. i can't give them what they need um but i'd say largely uh it's the same cool that's it and it, you know they're music fans so or you know you would hope that they would be open to different well i've still got the, the singing and the songs and um that seems to be what most people <laughs> are about wanted to hear so yeah, I mean, that's interesting in itself. And it, talking about that whole genre thing, I don't really know if it is audiences that are that bothered. It tends to be uh, what you might call the gatekeepers, I suppose, you know, radio people and mm. and venues. And I understand why, you know, they're getting pitched so much music. They need to be able to quickly understand, like, or they feel they need to understand quickly what it is so that they know how to um, reject it, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what they tend um, to do. Yeah, I... I just sort of decided I'd rather play the music that I felt passionate about to like a room with three people in it yeah. than play endless Sandy Denny covers um, to like a hundred people when my heart wasn't in it. Yeah. Like it, that and, doesn't make any sense to me. And there's so many other people who can do the Sandy Denny covers anyway. There's nobody else who, just, can, who can write what you're going to Yeah. I don't, I don't want to like, uh, you know, I don't want to make a career out of, trads and 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 covers Hmm. i have always been like about the songwriting um and it's great that people like my singing that that's really great that's really helped it's really useful 
but it's not the most important bit of it to me. Oh, and that's interesting. I like, yeah, I find that interesting to find out from people as well. How do you see yourself? If are you a songwriter? Is that your your kind of headline thing? Yeah, I think so. I think that's what I always wanted to be. I think that um, people's initial response is often to the singing, mm. and that's great. That's that's a really good thing, and I'm really like proud of that bit of it. And I work really hard at it, mm. and it's really important. But at the end of the day, the bit that I really want to hear about is like, what did you think of what I had to say? What mm. did you think of what I said? That's that's the bit that lives on like I won't be able to sing forever but the things that I said will remain if that's not too sort of fatalistic <laughs> well no it's true you know and it's it's the same I've you know I know I've sort of thought about people who are like um virtuoso on an instrument or whatever and it's like well it'd be amazing to have that facility but actually does it get a bit frustrating? <laughs> I think the thing is for anybody who's doing something creative or or anything really, <clears throat> you get frustrated with the things that are successful and you want more recognition for the other stuff at some some level, I guess. Like, I, I feel like I've got better at songwriting over time hmm. and that, that has sort of become the forefront of it as I've got better at it, as I've become more confident about it. Yeah. Um, and that's the bit that I now think is most important. Um, I've done a couple of projects where I wrote songs and I didn't sing them. They're not for me to sing. Mm, interesting. And that kind of bolstered the idea that the songwriting was the really rewarding part of it. And that it existed outside of your performance as well. Yeah, that like the songs aren't only good because I'm singing them. Mm. So, yeah, just talking about how the actual industry itself has changed then over the time that you've been working with Ben and on the, the solo stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Have you seen a big difference in, like, was CD sales kind of the whole point, you know, when you were starting off with the duo and that's changed a bit now? You were talking about streaming services and and just how an audience interacts with the musician. Have you seen a change in that stuff? I guess so. I think the thing about that that's hard to tell is that the arc of my career is one one direction, one sort of wiggly line, mm. and it goes up and down. And then like, what the music industry's been doing is another one, not necessarily in the same direction. Right. So it's kind of hard for me to say. I don't think that it's ever been as hard to make a living out of music in one sense like it's never been as hard to shift units Mm -hmm. as it is now and i'm i'm sort of putting coronavirus situation to one side for a minute yeah we're talking talking prior to you know the start of the year um i don't think that it's ever been quite so hard to to shift actual physical vinyls or discs Mm. it's never been easier to create things and make them available for people Mm-hmm. So there's kind of pros and cons of the current model. Like you can just, like the equipment you can get to record things now is great. Anyone can just record a thing into a laptop mm-hmm. and like put it on Bandcamp or or whatever and make it available to people. Um, so it's never been easier to be an artist 
in the actual kind of like physical making of things and making them available sense. And it's sort of never been harder to make that a solid career. So I always thought over this kind of 10 years that I've been doing it, I thought there would be a point where it would sort of balance out and I would feel like I could sort of relax. Like this is my sort of rough and it like barring some huge disaster this is roughly what it will be yeah and it's just never been like that no whether i've been an independent artist whether i've been on a label whether i've been on a small label or on rough trade it's never been like you can you can sort of relax and that is guaranteed now no it just kind of wobbles up and down wherever you are whatever you're doing and it it's sort of it's always hard and it might be hard, like with Rough Trade, it might be hard, but you have, you know, 20,000 views of a YouTube video. Yeah. Um, but it's still it's sort of you're in a new bracket and it's not quite enough in that bracket. And then when you put them, you're an independent artist, you put them on your own channel and you're talking about, you know, 400 views of a thing. And that's not quite enough, but it's not quite enough in a different bracket. So I, I sort of, I never feel like I haven't been sort of struggling to to kind of sell enough, but I would think that that's how everyone feels. Yeah, I think my experience of talking to people at various um, junctures is that they're always looking up um, and looking at where the, you know, that contemporary is a couple of rungs up the ladder or whatever. It's like, well, look at what they're doing and look where they're playing. And it's, but then they're doing the same thing a bit further up as well. It's like nobody, nobody feels secure, I guess, today in that way that you just No, and I would say that that's in, in a business sense. I'd say the one thing that I could say for me is that I don't feel the same way in terms of my, how I feel about my own levels of achievement. Mm. So I have a thing that I talk about, the inner mantelpiece. Um, upon which you put achievements that kind of stand the test of time. Cool. I'm not only as good as the amount of people that were in a room last Tuesday. Mm. Um, these are things that I've done that I will feel proud of like forever. Mm-hmm. I will never not have won a folk award. I will never not have been um, at the National Theatre for a show. <clears throat> um, so... So the one thing that I would say is like whatever happens in a business sense, mm. I, I feel like what my career has given me is a is a sense of achievement that can't be undone. I don't feel like uh, I I wasn't good enough because I wasn't good enough. I feel like it doesn't really matter what happens with the business side of things. I in the climate that I was in, I made a pretty good stab at it. Mm. I like that. What were you calling that? The mantle of the inner mantle. My inner mantle piece. Inner mantle piece. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I've trademarked that. That's mine. So don't. don't no, steal no. That. Okay, I'll <laughs> have to come up with a different piece of furniture. Yeah, that's for my new life coaching business. Yeah, and it, and the book. You get. What, yeah, my what, book. Yeah. What was the one we said? I forgot what that was as well. No, it's all right because it's recorded. I can listen back. You said. Um, Oh, oh, something about the bits that you throw away. like The bits that you throw away are the bits that make it work. Yeah, okay. So I think definitely if nothing else happens over the next couple of months, you've got that book there about creativity and whatever. 
Yeah. That's an, have you seen that one? Like this whole thing of um, well, when Shakespeare was quarantined because of the Black Death or whatever, he wrote Hamlet, and it's like a couple of people being like, oh, "Okay, no fucking pressure." Then you know, just like it feels like the most I can do at the moment is get out of bed without kind of crying. But- yeah, I, I don't. I don't think anyone should feel like they should be writing um, their Hamlet. best work in this environment. Like, fuck that idea. <laughs> Putting loads of pressure on yourself has never been a great recipe for achieving your best. Mm. I mean, forget that line of thinking. Like, if you manage to do something with the time, then great. If you don't, it's really no test of your ability to create stuff it just means that this particular set of circumstances doesn't work for you mm. cool and you've got a kind of i think you, it sounds like you you've reached this point which is really great because i don't know how many artists ever do really but where you're aware of your own um creative space and what works for you mm. i think it takes a time for for you to work that out doesn't it yeah i think i've been very lucky in terms of the amount of time that I've been able to do it and the things that I've done, I've been able to kind of work out what my process is and be confident with that. Um, I think some of the things that artists struggle with is the idea that they're not a real artist because they can't do this and they haven't done that. Yeah. Um, And I mean, that's all nonsense, really. Did you used to have those kinds of thoughts? Uh, Or have you always Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, And my wisdom to myself from the other side of that is that if you've written a song, you're a songwriter, you don't need, like, there won't be a certificate, there won't be an official, like, decree made that you now exist and you have worth as this thing. Mm. If you do it, you are the thing that you're doing. And it doesn't matter if you make a living from that. I have made a living from it and I have not made a living from it. And I never was... Um, any better or worse at it in either of those times that's not a qualitative judgment Mm. capitalism doesn't care whether you are a great artist or not that is not a consideration it makes Mm. fascinating okay at this point Jessie, I normally ask people what they've got coming up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I might stop asking that for the next few weeks. But if people wanted to check out your stuff and and find you, what's the best ways that they can do that? Um, I mean, the In All Weather album is still out there. It's still good. Um, It's on Spotify (laughs) and Apple Music and all of those things. And you can buy it from record shops, various, all good um my band camp's got things on it old things it might have new things on it eventually i'm i've got um i've got a set of old demos that i was sort of hanging on to for later in the year but i might put those out cool sooner rather than later because you know like obviously um rent um <laughs> and yeah so uh yeah my band camp's always a good good place to look um i'm always talking rubbish on twitter and i upload poems regularly to my website they're often shit but it is a thing i like to do (laughs) so people want to check out often shit poems that's the (laughs) yeah if you like crap poetry um, (laughs) but you blog as well don't you like i was reading um the other day your blog post about if I didn't mind, which I would check in, uh, sort of 
suggest anybody goes and reads because that's interesting as well oh yeah i've also got um i've got a thing called the treaties on the industry myth which Mm. is about how you have to like you have to retain a sense of intrinsic value in your artwork Ah. um regardless of its financial success or um take up from Mm. other sources and i feel like this is a time where people might need to remember that even if you're not performing it doesn't mean that your artwork becomes meaningless yeah that's um, a really interesting point and i was kind of having some of these thoughts before this stuff kicked off as well because just by a weird coincidence i w- i'm out doing some joint or I was doing some joint headline shows with mini birch over the last few months and that was going uh, yeah, on. Sure is, yeah. um but then after that i hadn't got much in the way of gigging kind of up i wasn't really doing any festivals this summer and it wasn't on purpose. It was just the way it goes some years, isn't it, I guess? Mm. And it was, I did have those moments of like, well, does that mean I'm not, you know, am I not a performer? Am I not a musician if you're not out doing it? And that's, again, what some of those weird questions that come up. And now we're mm. enforced to kind of look at that stuff, I guess. That's that's interesting. It leads you on to something that I tend to ask people as well, which you've, you've kind of covered, but just to sort of get a, a maybe a bit of a, a, a shortish answer on it, like, how do you define success in terms of your creativity? What's a successful uh, thing? Um, do you mean um, at the point of making it or at the point of it being re- received? Both, um, if you wouldn't mind, because well, they may be different. Do I like it? That's a pretty important consideration. Mm-hmm. Do I feel like it's good? Um, and then if one other person likes it, then that's a success okay like forget market forces they don't work on like those aren't qualitative judgments like if you made a thing that you think is good and someone else thinks it's good then it's good Mm, i love that okay jason that's great thank you so much Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. See you next time on the Robert Lane Creative Careers podcast. If you could subscribe to the podcast, share it, like it, comment on it, review it, tell all your friends about it, all of those things would be fantastic because the more that people do that, the more that new people get a chance to hear the podcast, join the community and enjoy the content that we're putting out. You can find me at robertlanemusic.co.uk and I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as Robert Lane Music. Please get in touch, let me know if you're enjoying the programmes and who you think I should talk to in the future. Thank you, until next time, goodbye.